we all have walls with us. And when we tell stories, we build bridges instead of walls. So imagine it like as a drawbridge. You know, you have a castle, you have a moat. So when you're telling a story, you lower down the bridge so somebody else can cross over. But you can always lift it up at any time. Hello, and welcome to Every Moment is a Choice. I'm your host, Erica Behel, and I invite you to join me on a transformative journey to uncover the extraordinary potential that lies within every single moment of our lives. From the choices we make in our relationships, careers, and personal growth, to the mindset we embrace in the face of adversity, this podcast will empower you to embrace the notion that every moment holds a choice, and it's up to us to seize it. Join me as we engage in insightful conversations with thought leaders, experts, and everyday people who have harnessed the power of choice to achieve greatness, overcome obstacles, and create extraordinary lives. If you feel inspired by this episode, please read it and consider subscribing. I'm keen to know how it's impacted you. Today, I am thrilled to have my friend Anna Ong on the podcast. Hi, Anna. Hi, Erica. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Perfect. So for the listeners, Anna uh, has a very fascinating career, and she's here to talk today about storytelling. Anna is an ex-banker turned storyteller. She's also a keynote speaker, a storytelling and communications coach. She's a professional speaker and MC. She's an entrepreneur, so she's built a business around storytelling as well. She's a social impact investor and advisor and adventurer, I would say, because I've seen some of the adventures that that she's been on. She's an aspiring stand-up comedian, which is fascinating to me as well. And she is all around a fascinating person. I first met her when she curates a show called What's Your Story Slam, which is a curated storytelling competition in Singapore held a couple times a year, a few times a year. And I took part in this competition last year. And what struck me about Anna is her ability to not only entertain, but really enable people to tell their stories. And I know that she's on a mission to help people tell their stories as well. So welcome, Anna, today. And like I said, happy to have you. Well, thanks, Erica. I'm very happy to be here. And you forgot to mention that not only did you tell stories at my stage, not once, but twice, she also won the second time. She placed second the first time she told her story on stage, and then she won the second time she decided, you know, with her uh, determination (laughs) to win the story slam. She did. What can I say? I'm a goal-oriented person. And so I did want to compete and win. We'll talk about that later, but it was a kind of thing where I feel like um, storytelling is not just for the storyteller themselves. It's also for the audience and making people feel. And I think that's something we can explore in our discussion today. So I want to start with a question. Because you are a storyteller, what is a story in the corporate world today in, in many people's occupations? They talk a lot. You know, they have to give presentations there is keynote speaking, there is stand-up comedy, there is improv. What, what differentiates storytelling from all those different things? I would start first in terms of how I would define storytelling or how, what storytelling is for me. So I focus a lot on personal narratives. And when we say we're sharing a personal story, it often revolves a moment of change in terms of how an event has changed you as a person for better or worse. So if we're going to define stories specifically, stories are a series of events that talk about a change that has happened. Mm -hmm. So there are stories in keynote speeches. There are stories in presentations and stories in stand-up comedy sets. Mm -hmm. If you listen closely, oftentimes it's very popular now to see stand-up comedians also narrate about a certain event. So there's a bit of a story there, but not the kind of storytelling I like people to share on stage. Mm. Okay, so stories can be an element of those different things. Yes. But tell us more about what is the type of storytelling that you like to focus on? So I often tell each storyteller when they're going to tell a story on stage to imagine it as like a movie 
in your audience's mind. So you're telling your stories uh, verbally. So you need to be able to create a setting. The audience needs to be able to imagine your story as if they are living inside your head too. Like they're seeing the world through your eyes. They're feeling what you're feeling. And in order for them to do that, you have to use the senses to explain how you feel. Don't say, I feel scared. Scared means different things for different people. What does scared mean for you? Is it like, I can feel the, uh, the hair on my arms start to rise up. I start feeling goosebumps. My heart starts beating faster and faster. And I suddenly feel cold. Mm. That then you then understand what scared means for me. Yeah. And you can feel it. Almost. And you can you feel it because, it. yeah. So when we use sensory words, the audience can start feeling it too, as if they're living it. Yeah. Which also is how stories create empathy. Ooh. So I'm picking up on the sensory element of good stories in that you're not just telling, but you're kind of Showing. Showing or making somebody feel what you felt. And tell us more about the empathy, because I can see connection, but where, how does that evolve into empathy? So empathy happens when people start understanding how you feel. So often it is about describing how it affects you physically. I often find like we like to take shortcuts by saying the emotion, but emotion feels different for different people. Yeah. So we need to be able to show what does it look like? What does it feel like? Mm -hmm. And for people who are struggling to express the words, I always say, then let's start first with the body. What does your senses tell you? Because mm -hmm. often it's almost like listening also to how your body talks. So the kind of storytelling I encourage most storytellers to tell is to really get in touch with your physical senses as well because often we tell stories with our head and you see it you hear it with uh, in almost every stories that they pitch to you whether it's in a presentation it's all stories from the head but if you want for people to feel it has to be both the head the heart and the body sometimes they go we just need the head and the heart no you need the body too wow this is fascinating to me i have never gone so in depth into like the somatic experience of storytelling as well and how people experience it. Okay. So this is interesting because you're talking about having someone experience what you experience, demonstrating that, having them feel it in order to do what? In order to make them think differently or feel differently? So it depends on your goal as a storyteller. It could only just for them to understand what you've been through or to see the weight that you carry. Mm -hmm. So every storyteller has a different goal when they're up on stage. Mm -hmm. It's either to engage, to entertain, mm -hmm. to inspire. Mm -hmm. uh, often for funny stories, it's to entertain. Yeah. Keynote speakers often want to inspire. Yeah. So depends on what your intention is. And for my stage, it's open-ended. Yeah. Each storyteller gets to decide on what they want to do with that story. Yeah. So for people who haven't attended one of her shows, and I highly recommend you do if you're located in Singapore. Or, or in the Philippines, Manila. Yes, because it's expanding. It's going global now. One of the things is that Anna chooses a theme for each of the shows. But the theme can be something that is quite high level and allows interpretation amongst the storytellers to, to kind of think of a story that relates to that or interpret it in their own way and then come up with their own story around that. And I've heard, I've attended several of these shows and I've heard, like you're exactly right, stories that are meant to elicit an understanding of a hardship that someone went through, or it could be a purely funny story. It could be an embarrassing story. Um, and I've seen people do all types of things with that format. And what do you think the audience takes from it? I mean, you, you're giving an opportunity to storytellers. What are you doing for the audience? So for the audience, they take what's useful for them. Because a story is unlike a keynote. You don't drill down on a main point. Every 
audience member listens, experiences your stories through their own lenses. So they see things, they feel things from their own experiences. So it's already filtered as it goes through them. So they take what's useful for them. And you'd often be surprised at what insight people get out of your story that you may not even see it yourself. <laughs> that you're, huh, I never thought about it that way. But yeah, you're right. Because they see things through their own lens. So that's why I always encourage storytellers to not drill home a point because it's not a keynote. Mm-hmm. Let yeah. them take what's useful for them and let them figure out how the rest of your story goes if you ended it up on a cliffhanger. Right. Interesting. Because it's true, everybody interprets something a different way. And at your shows, when a person is telling a story, it's not like, okay, and here are the three main takeaways. There's no takeaways. It's The takeaways are up to interpretation. The takeaways are up to the audience, actually, yeah. the listener, if they want to even have a takeaway or they were like, oh, that was a fun story. Yeah. But everybody has different reasons of wanting to listen to other people's stories. Mm -hmm. Some people do it because they they look for connection. They just don't want to feel alone. Some people do it because it's like gossiping, right? Listening to somebody tell you their stories. So everybody has different reasons for being there. And what I like about when people come to storytelling shows, and I've gone to storytelling shows other than my own, is that it's a place where you can go alone And not feel alone because as you're listening to someone tell a story, there is that magic of suddenly you feel connected, not just to the storyteller, but with everybody else in the room because your brain waves start to match. And there are studies that shows that. I'll share with you some from Harvard Business. I think it's Harvard or Stanford, one of the schools in the U.S. have done research in terms of brain waves and storytelling. Wow. There's a whole psychological element to this. I mean, there's definitely, you can understand that there's formulas to good storytelling and everything and and different elements, but it's really that connection and kind of a shared experience behind it. So you talked a little bit about why audience members go and like to listen to stories. Now that you've had so many storytellers come through your workshops and come through your show, why do people want to go up on stage, sometimes for the first time, and tell their stories? What is their motivation? So people come up on stage and do it different uh, for various reasons. Some have a fear of public speaking. Mm -hmm. And I often say storytelling is probably the most fun way to do public speaking because nobody's judging you. They're grateful that you're opening up to them. You're honoring them with sharing your gift of stories. Others want to get better at being a better storyteller. So others say, this is going to be another tool for my tool belt. I need to do more presentations. I want to be a better speaker. I want to be a better storyteller. Others is like, I have something really funny and I really want to share it. So others just want to entertain. And some people also feel almost compelled. Like there's a story that's burning inside them. And the show is a vehicle for them to empower them or give them permission Mm -hmm. to share it. Actually, the heaviest stories probably that I have would be on my, when I used to have mixtape, which is a a Mm -hmm. storytelling showcase of people who have attended my workshops, my storytelling course, because they get to choose what story they want to work on. Mm -hmm. So I don't give a theme. They decide on what they want to work on. And some work on really heavy stories and others, the things that they um, have gone through, but want to process more, Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's leaving a relationship or a death of a parent or overcoming a disability. So these are heavier stories. And I call it mixtape because there is no theme. The theme is, it's mixtape. Of course, like, I don't know if young people would understand what mixtape is, but I know what a mixtape is. (sighs) Yes, it's like, um, it became a, CD. It was a cassette yeah. tape when yeah. we were younger where, you know, you record your favorite songs. Mm-hmm. Oh, and if you like someone, you give it to them as a gift to express how you feel. And it became CDs and it became MP3 players. And now it's called the Spotify playlist. I know, but that's not as, no. It's not that's the not same. as much effort. No. That had to go into that mixtape. That was a pure expression of love. If you uh, got one of those. Yeah, because you have to be patient in recording and <laughs> taping and compiling it. Awesome. 
so uh, from having told stories on stage, it can be a very, almost a therapeutic experience, but it's not necessarily therapy, right? I mean, it's, it's therapeutic for the storyteller, but I, something I believe about telling heavy stories is that an audience wants to root for you. They want to find that I went through something very hard, but now I've beat it. Yes. Or now I am, you know, a whole new person. Yes. So the only heavy stories I allow in the show is the ones that you have already come to terms with and have a resolution. Yeah. Stories that are not resolved, I tell the storytellers to work with a professional and come to terms with it. And once they have, I will help them turn it into a story that they will be able to use to empower themselves and also perhaps someone in the audience who needed to hear it. Yes. I think that's so important. There's probably a time and a place for every story. And if you can resolve it and then tell that story and have someone feel motivated by the fact that you got through it, it's a gift. It is. It's really a gift. Yeah. So that's why also I, I call it a curated story stand because I have received pitches where it's not resolved yet and I have to turn them down because I have to protect the audience as well. Yeah. Because as I explain it, we have a heavy ball that we carry. When we're telling a story, we pass the ball to the audience so that they can feel the weight of your burden. Mm -hmm. But then we take it back because the audience is not supposed to carry it for you. They're just supposed to be able to feel it, to understand what you're going through, but not have to actually be left with it. That is so profound, Anna. I've never thought of it that way, but now it makes total sense. That they can carry the weight, but then they give it back to you. Yeah. And you can take it back, yeah, too. Yeah, you, you can take it back because you already have dealt with it. You you know, that's like that's part of your superpower now. So amazing. I love that insight. So we've talked about the, the storytellers who come on to your show, but you also, you go into multinational corporations, you go into different organizations. Why are they interested in learning about storytelling? So for most organizations, they want to level up their employees' communication skills. Mm -hmm. And storytelling is one of the best ways for um, their employees to get there. They can use the storytelling framework to style their presentations. They can use stories to bring some of their presentations to life in terms of when they have to make an explanation as to why this happened or what, why we need this. You can tell, do it in the form of a story. But often I would tell leaders, what's more important as leaders is for you to be able to tell your story. Because as leaders, you need to be able to build trust. And what is the formula for trust? Trust is credibility plus vulnerability, you know, in parentheses, over risk. The higher the risk, the greater your credibility which you, we can see from your CV or your track record or whatever experiences you have, mm -hmm. and vulnerability. Vulnerability is about how well do we know you as a person? What's the best way to do that? Through stories. So I often also work with a lot of leaders in terms of being able to share stories about themselves, not just about their triumphs, but about their pivotal moments when things did not go right. What did they learn from it? How did they rise from it? Yeah. When did they realize they needed to ask for help and that they can't do things alone? These are stories that can engage, inspire, and make people follow you even in the hardest times. Mm. Wow. They're great also to connect, make connections, instantaneous connections with people when you start sharing your stories because... We all have walls with us. And when we tell stories, we build bridges instead of walls. So imagine it like as a drawbridge. Mm -hmm. You know, you have a castle, you have a moat. So when you're telling a story, you lower down the bridge so somebody else can cross over. But you can always lift it up at any time. I love that analogy. I'm already uh, just floating in all these insights and I love it. So, so when you work with leaders and you work on storytelling and maybe incorporating storytelling into their leadership, what kind of feedback do you get? Do you, 
Do you hear back from them? So yes. Uh, so I remember the very first leadership team I worked with here in Singapore, and nobody really understood what I was trying to do in storytelling. And they were the first organization to take a chance on me, and they even watch Watch Your Story Slam. Yeah. And I had them working on their career stories and told them like, hey, you know, work in pairs, exchange stories. And one of the insights they told me was, Anna, I learned more about her in the 15 minutes you had us exchanging stories than in the 10 years I had working with her. Yeah. And I go, wow. I gave myself a pat in the back. Like, yes, I was able to build bridges, but also felt a little sad that this is what professional life is like. We don't talk about ourselves. We are afraid to share. Mm. And I still work with that organization. And I did ask, so what, how did it go? And they go like, we work better as a team now because after hearing each other's stories, even if it is what at first career stories, we stop seeing them as their job titles, but start seeing them as people mm. with wants and needs just like me. And it's funny because I work first with the leadership team, then I work with their one downs, and now I work with other departments in that organization. Wow. So there's tangible benefits to telling stories and mainly building those bridges and building connections that you wouldn't have otherwise had. Yeah, we can tell personal stories and still stay professional because most people are afraid when they start telling personal stories, they lose their privacy. But oftentimes it's enhancing your professional capabilities when you're sharing something personal. Uh, so an example of a personal story is the story of your name. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, Erica Bell. Mm -hmm. What is the story behind Erica Bell? Or what, where does the last name Bell come from? Mm -hmm. Or Erica, how did you feel about your name? What did your mom think when she named you Erica? Were you named after a certain relative? Mm -hmm. Like for me, I go by Anna Ong, but Anna Ong is actually... I only started being called Anna Ong in university. Before that, everyone called me Annalisa. And mm -hmm. Annalisa came when I was about three. I asked my mom, like, why am I Annalisa? There's like three or four Annalisas in my school. And my mom said, oh, so um, you were named after your grandmother's favorite soap opera, which was Annalisa. <laughs> and I had to think about it amongst my cousins and my siblings, I was the only one. My grandmother had an influence in naming. Wow. So I like to think amongst everybody, amongst her, you know, 20 something grandkids, I was the favorite. <laughs> That's such a cute story. And it does, it does give me insight into you. Um, just, you know, hearing that story. And yes, it is personal, but I think it doesn't cross the line over in private. private. There's personal yes. and private. And I yes. think that that's sometimes what people and leaders especially struggle with. I don't want to overshare. Correct. Right. And, and it's not oversharing when you're sharing something that, I mean, my story of my name is not common knowledge, but it's not something I hide either. It's just mm -hmm. more like, it's normally a story you told with, or your family knows, but you never really think about sharing it with anybody else. Right. And yet by sharing that, you feel closer to the person who opened up because they told you something that you can't see on their LinkedIn profile or in their CV. Yeah, yeah. So if there was if there was a leader out there listening to this, wondering like, how do you know what the threshold is between personal and private? What is that? So if you say it's a secret, it's private. There are also stuff you do professionally that you can't talk about. It's when you have an NDA. Right. That's private. So there are professional and yet private. When you say like, oh, you know, it's confidential, I have to sign an NDA, we have this Chinese wall, mm -hmm. you already know what's professional and private. Same thing goes for personal and private. If it's a secret, if it's a family matter, then perhaps, yes, it is not something you will talk professionally with your peers. Yeah, yeah. But everything else, what your favorite cuisine is or like one of your favorite travel destinations I think that's that's okay to share. Yeah, and it makes you human. It makes you human, makes you like, oh, you love Japan too? Oh, me too. <laughs> awesome. So, I mean, you you came from, you haven't been a storyteller all your life. I mean, maybe in certain aspects, but professionally, you came from banking. You know, you came from a very hardcore professional environment where I think the, you know, the line between personal and professional is is usually very, very rigid, and and you came from that. What 
tell it tell us about your background how did you get into storytelling well storytelling was more like something that i've always enjoyed as a kid like i love reading books since i discovered young adult novels i think i don't know if you remember sweet valley sweet valley high and yes. valley twins yes oh yeah <laughs> so when I discovered that, it's as if a whole new world opened up for me that I didn't know existed. I mean, I grew up in the Philippines, so this was like life in California. Yeah. So, you know, being blonde and a twin in California, like I wanted a twin when I was reading those books. So I think I always like stories because they offer a chance for me to travel. I travel through time when I read historical stories. I travel to different places when I read stories look in various settings. So it's a form of escape for me. And when I ran out of books to read, because growing up in the Philippines at that time, it was limited. Not like now where everything is at your fingertips. I wrote my own stories. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much how I started it. I kind of lost it when I went to university because, you know, had a life, then got a job in banking. And I only reconnected with storytelling was when I quit banking and decided to spend a year living it as if it were my last. That was the goal of the year. Live the year as if it were your last, which means not thinking about future or serious things like a job mm -hmm. or a career. And so it was through exploration I discovered a comedic art form called storytelling. Wow. It was during improv. At an improv show, we were doing a format called the Armando, mm -hmm. where someone has to tell a personal story and then the rest of your team creates scenes inspired by the story. So the Armando is you don't have a monologist. One of the team members becomes whoever is inspired to tell a story. And what's funny was when I was training in improv, I never could even tell a monologue or a story because I felt like, oh my God, these Americans, they like to overshare. <laughs> <laughs> and my brain would freeze. I had zero. And my coach was saying at the night of our show, he says like, you know, in improv, there's something magical that happens. When you feel your body move, don't let your head question it. Just go with it. And that night, was like we did one monologue, we did three scenes, and then we were just all staring at each other. Then I felt my feet just go up in the middle of the room and I started telling a story. And that was when I knew I wanted to be a storyteller because it is as if the feeling I had, if I were to say it in a word, is ecclesiastical. Mm -hmm. It's as if the skies opened up. And the angel started singing hallelujah. Like I could hear it in a head. And I think it was my brain synapses on fire wow. that I found that it was that sheer joy of being able to tell my story. And then hearing the audience laugh mm -hmm. in moments of the story and then getting to see my improv team create scenes inspired by it. Mm -hmm. That was super fun. Yeah. And what was the story you told? It was a time when I was at the back of a motorbike going up to a hostel that's on top of a mountain mm -hmm. with my Samsonite carry-on. I don't travel like a backpacker, okay? I had a carry-on, four-wheel carry-on. And apparently going to these places, everybody has these 50-liter backpacks and mm -hmm. I had my wheelie. <laughs> <laughs> so the guy had to put the carry-on on in the middle of the handlebars. And so I was holding to the back of the bike and we're going up the mountain. It was rainy, it was muddy, and then my Samsonite bag was right there in the middle of the handlebars. Nice. And people responded to that, right? Oh, so Is that what you felt? Yeah, they responded. I think it was because it was in New York. And so they understood, like the city girl, you know, parody right. of being in the middle of a jungle going up a mountain with a carry-on. Yeah. They could relate to it. Yes. That's amazing. So you told the story there, and this was during your your year of kind of living like it was your last. Yes. So did you continue to explore this? Did you start to tell stories in New York? Or Yes. Yeah, so I started telling stories in New York, Washington, D.C., and I started working with startups on the social impact space, mm -hmm. working with the personal narratives of the founders and their founding team and tying it up with their company's mission and vision. Because these are the stories, so we work on it to have these stories be done in mm -hmm. three minutes under. Because these are the stories they can use for recruitment, mm -hmm. for pitching, 
to get the point across at the shortest amount of time possible as to why I'm doing this, why I gave up my job in Wall Street to work on this startup that's supposed to help solve a problem. Yeah. Why am I taking this risk? Why am I risking my career for this? Yeah. So how they do it is through stories. And when they meet VCs and they meet the founding team and everyone shares their stories and it's all different, then they can see the picture why this team belongs together and why they can trust the organization. My mistake was how I charge my fees. I should okay. have asked for the percentage of amount of money they raised. <laughs> when I found out how much money they raised from the stories I work with them on, I go, should have charged it differently. Yes, yes. So obviously it was a success. At what point did you start to think, this is not just something that I enjoy doing, but this is maybe something I can build a career around? Oh, it was the moment actually on stage when I decided I wanted to be a storyteller. That's it. I just need to figure out how to make money from it. Wow. I already knew I was going to be in storytelling. I was doing storytelling. I don't want to do anything else but storytelling. I just need to figure out how to monetize it. And so you've built a... Now, I mean, people talk about things like portfolio careers with different sources of income. You've really taken this theme of storytelling and you've branched out in several areas. Tell us more about like how you've done that. At first, all I wanted to do was help people tell better stories. Mm -hmm. um, when I moved to Singapore, it was because my friends, after hearing what I was doing in the U.S. with the startups, said that I can make a bigger impact in Asia because I'm Asian plus... Asians need to be better communicators. Compared to our Western counterparts, we struggle in Asia to tell stories, better stories. But when I came back to Singapore, nobody understood what I was trying to do. They thought I wanted to become an actress or, you know, work for Universal Studios in a costume. But my friend's kids thought I had the coolest job because I was the storyteller. Uh, so it was until... I started What's Your Story Slam. Did people start to get the power of personal narratives? Mm -hmm. Because then they can see what personal stories is about. Before What's Your Story Slam, there were no storytelling shows in Singapore. If they had, they disappeared because there's no money in showbiz. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I would go to stand-up comedy open mic nights sure. and tell stories there. Mm -hmm. But my stories would often fall flat because the audience in stand-up are expecting jokes and laughs mm -hmm. and they don't get, your story's funny, but couldn't you get to the joke faster? Right. So I was unhappy and so my friend said like, well, what's stopping you from starting your own show? And of course the answer was nothing. So I started What's Your Story Slam? Mm -hmm. Not the most original idea because to be honest, when I named What's Your Story Slam, I thought it was going to be a one show thing. So yeah. I figured... I'll figure out a more clever name, but then I just continued on. Uh, so yeah, what's your story, Slam? So I started it and my first show was mostly my friends mm -hmm. who I asked, hey, can you tell the story? I'll yeah. help you because at least I know my friends have interesting stories. And our first show, the theme was risk. Stories mm -hmm. of taking chances because I was taking a chance as well doing a show. Yep. I had major imposter syndrome because... I was a banker. What the heck do I know about producing shows? None. And so most people in the audience were everyone who knew me personally and professionally. So if the show tanked, there is no place for me to hide and I really need to leave Singapore again. <laughs> so I had a lot riding that night and I've never even hosted an event in my life. So I was terrified, could not even make eye contact with the audience. Like I was so scared. Mm -hmm. And we had this horrible lighting, too, because we had to use the movie screen projector light right. as our spotlight. Oh, no. So talk about the really bad lighting. That was the first show. Thankfully, uh, the show went well. Everyone came up to me in intermission saying, we've never seen anything like it. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, all the storytellers story were so vulnerable on stage. And I could see also, like, people just talking to each other. They don't know each other. They're talking to the storytellers, you know, as if they knew them because yeah. they heard their story. Yeah. And you must have experienced that as well. When uh, well, after you tell your story, like people are talking to you as if, I don't know you, but you seem like you know me. Yeah, absolutely. And so at the end of the night, actually, when I was thanking everyone, I decided to just announce, and we're having our show in the next two months. And the theme <laughs> is, yeah, 
And and it grew from there. Like people started helping me find other people who can tell stories at the show. Mm-hmm. Some volunteered. Mm-hmm. And I do coach every person, give feedback to the stories for every person going up on stage yeah. because you're sharing something personal, very vulnerable, and I want to set you up for success and also make sure that somebody's holding your hand along the way because this is often something new. Mm-hmm. And in a way, giving the support that I never had when I was doing storytelling. Mm. It was everything that I wish I had, good lighting, photography. So it's, it's everything I wish, like, you know, nice pictures. I never had that when I was doing it in New York and Washington and D.C., and also nobody to give me feedback and guidance. Yeah. So that's what I wanted for myself. So that's what I put into What's Your Story, Sam? That's so beautiful. I've experienced that because I know that one thing that you do at every single show is you get the audience ready. You know, you go up there and you say, you know what? When I call this person's name, you're going to start clapping as soon as they stand up out of their seat and walk up to this stage because it's about that support. It's creating an, an environment where you know, okay, these people are going to at least root for me. You know, my story might flop in the end, but Anne is there to make sure that everybody goes up there in a positive mindset. I love that. Yeah, and I also want them to feel that, especially for people who are doing it for the first time, especially afraid of public speaking, yeah. I want this to be a positive experience. Yeah. To feel what it's like when everyone's clapping for you and clapping as when you're finished with your story. Yeah. Because it's uh, showing support. But also like so that you realize like, hey, it's not so scary. I actually enjoyed it. Yeah. Maybe I'll do it again. I love that. I mean, this show is still ongoing and it's still it sells out every time. But I remember you said like, there's not a lot of money in this. So then getting back to your own career and how you're making this, you know, you're an entrepreneur, you need to make money. How did you then expand on this? So through the show, the show is a great marketing arm because then it's a showcase on my skills as a coach, yep. as a host, also in terms of crafting the stories, because yeah. I have a hand in helping each storyteller craft the stories. So to fund the show, I do corporate work. Mm-hmm. So I do a lot of, um, I design workshops Um, But I've expanded to not just storytelling, but also in terms of communication skills, because people see how do we then project confidence when we're up on stage or how do we think on our feet or how do we stay calm even when things are not going right. Mm -hmm. So I incorporate improv and storytelling in all my communications workshop. Also now working a lot with um, presence. Mm-hmm. how you hold yourself and ground yourself when you're on stage. So a lot more focus on body work in terms of the, the senses. So it's, I don't teach people to look polished or something like showmanship. It's more about feeling comfortable in your own skin in a way, but performing at an amplified level. Because wow. when you're speaking or when you have the microphone, whether you like it or not, you're performing and you have to treat it as a performance or even like when you're competing as a sport, mm-hmm. you rest and you have to make sure you're doing your best. Yeah. So that's what I train people to do is to treat it as that. And I go, I'm not teaching you to be somebody you're not, but I am helping you amplify yourself. Yeah. Like how the microphone amplifies your voice. Right. Do you find that most people need a bit of support in that area. I mean, there are natural storytellers out there. Since the beginning of time, there's been people who are great at telling stories. But do most people actually need a bit of help or coaching in order to have that presence? Yes. There are some people, it comes naturally for them Mm -hmm. to own the stage. Mm -hmm. But for most, it needs to be trained. And it needs about awareness and being able to understand how your body moves. And also changing mindset. It's about reframing it because I would always tell people, when you have the microphone, you have the highest status in the room and you got to own it, embrace it, lean on it. It's when you don't, that's when you look weak. But let's put it this way. When I'm in front of my clients, I know like the CEO is there. He has, will have more power than me. But when I'm up on stage... I'm the boss. Yes. That's so true. When I get off on stage, hi, boss. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So do you own that power or do you kind of 
shrink away from it. People can tell. And that's the body language, not necessarily what you're saying. Exactly. It's your body talks louder than you. Yeah. And so often when I attend events, half the time I'm just looking at how people speak, how people sit, how people walk. And my friends say, don't you even look at the content? I go, nah, I'm more interested in what's happening outside that. Yeah. I'm taking a lot away from this. So you, you got the show, you are now working with, um, you're doing kind of a coaching capacity. We're doing workshops. What else are you doing to build out your, your whole repertoire? So I also work with other, um, schools. So I teach storytelling for executive education mm -hmm. for other, uh, schools as well, like Ivy league schools. So it's good for branding and presence and hopefully with my expansion. Nice. So you, what would you, you call yourself what? You call yourself a storyteller? You call yourself a coach or you call yourself all of these things? I call myself, I'm all of the above, but often when I only have like, you know, five seconds to introduce myself, I said, hi, I'm Anna Ong. I'm an ex-banker turned storyteller. And often people will want to go like, tell me more. <laughs> right. And if I have time, I go, I also house a show called What's Your Story Slam, where people share personal stories on stage. Yeah. Yeah. And I just realized that, that that snippet, when you say, I'm an ex-banker turned storyteller, that's a mini story because that's the change. Exactly. Brilliant. <laughs> so brilliant. Oh, now I'm thinking about how to change my LinkedIn, um, like my title. Byline. LinkedIn, yeah. It's, my byline. Because it's like almost like a, it's almost shorter than an elevator pitch. It's like a, your handshake. Yeah. A story can be that short but powerful yeah because the shortest story is a six-word story by ernest hemingway mm. uh what's this for sale baby shoes never worn oh that just hit me pretty hard <laughs> it it is right i still get the tingles whenever i say it because you know oh. so every and i like That's to play so this game too what's your six-word story because everybody has, you can summarize something in six words. It's a great exercise. So powerful. So we've talked about kind of the craft of storytelling and how important it is. If you look at a more macro level or like meta level, telling our own story, as in putting ourselves out there. And I don't want to go call it just personal branding or anything, but I've always heard that, you know, if you don't tell your own story, someone else will. And especially for women, I, I don't want to be exclusive here and because there are a lot of men who need to learn to tell their stories as well. But especially for women, I feel like people make assumptions about you. And unless you're out there telling your own story, opportunities might not come to you because people are going to make assumptions about you. So how do you then encourage people to tell their own story on that more meta level? So it depends because, uh, so that's why I write and I have What's Your Story Slam to encourage people. And I find that it's a platform for people who are, once they're ready, they will want to tell their story up on stage. But often, I would often ask women who would hesitate to tell their stories, who's stopping you? Who's the voice stopping you in your head? Mm -hmm. Because... I invite storytellers to always say, and everybody actually, your story's, your story's a gift. Mm -hmm. And you're robbing people of the gift of your story. But as I've also told um, some people, like gifts, you may also not like, you don't have to like it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a gift. They might not like it because it is a gift. But it's a gift that you give. Yeah. So in terms of like answering like how to get them is living by example. Mm -hmm. I find when because I share my story, a lot of people quickly open up and share their stories to me without even me asking. I think the one of the first shows I did in Washington DC, I told the story and I felt very raw and vulnerable. And at the end of the night, I was getting ready to leave. I saw a group of girls waiting for me. They wanted to talk to me because they felt that amongst all the storytellers, I was the only one whose story they could relate to because it's still, it's like it's happening in their own lives as well. Yep. And they were sharing all their experiences and they're like, I don't know who these people are. I just want to go home. Yeah. <laughs> why, are they, why, are they, why am I listening to people's stories? Why are they sharing it with me? But then it's because 
you open up. So sometimes it's about leading by example. That's why we need more people, more women to share their stories so that other women will feel empowered to share their stories. If I see someone doing it, then I then it gives them permission. Yes. I feel like you give a lot of people permission, both because you do the curated story show, uh, the storytelling show, but also because you're very vocal, I mean, on your social media and everything about, you know, I don't put myself in a box. Um, I'm not just a storyteller. I'm not just this. And you are very open. You know, people consider LinkedIn, you know, this uh, blurring between professional and personal, but you share your struggles, your, your kind of achievements, you share a lot. And I think a lot of people gravitate towards that because it is vulnerable and they can relate to that. Yeah. And I think it's um, sometimes people are tired of hearing me talk about storytelling. So I talk about <laughs> other things too, like climbing mountains, learning how to ride a bicycle. That was a long story in the making as yeah. well, because uh, it was, I mean, I think in therapy, they say, I have to stop blaming my parents for something. But I think my inability to ride a bicycle is on them. <laughs> they never taught me how to ride a bicycle. <laughs> And it's funny because when I admitted that, a lot of people came up to me, admit their secret. They don't know how to ride bicycles either. Yeah. And everyone always assumed that, how could you not know how to ride a bicycle? Didn't you not have a childhood? But we all have different childhoods. And I do have the kind of like a little small community of we can't ride a bike club. Except now I can't be part of it because I can ride a bike now. Now you know. Yes, now I know. Now you know. And you've done some crazy adventures like you just said. I mean... One thing I've thought about is, you know, how do you come up with stories? And I have read things about, you know, comedians. And I heard that, you know, like comedians and storytellers are actually really good listeners and observers. They don't necessarily have to be talking all the time, but they pick up on things and then they create stories out of that. So do you feel it's just as important to have these continuous adventures and everything so that you kind of refresh your stories? So that's a very interesting point. So yes, you're right. A lot of my stories actually comes from observations as to it get be inspired by a conversation. Yeah. Like sometimes I'm having dinner with someone, someone says something, made me think. I, go, I can create the story out of that. But often you hit a point like, oh, do we have to go on continuous adventure? So do we have material? Not necessarily. I would invite you to think about it this way. If we see life as a story, because I focus a lot on personal narratives, whenever I have to make a decision, I ask myself, is this a story I would want to tell? Mm. And often that kind of gives me a guidance as to what am I going to do next? Wow. So if you're going to think about what you want to do, right? If you're going to review your life, what it is before, is this a story I want to tell? And if your answer is no, then what change do you need to make? so that you can be able to live a life as a story you would want to tell. I love that. And very much in theme with what I'm trying to do with this podcast as well. Yeah, the choices you make. Actually, I remember when you said every moment is a choice. It reminds me of uh, Keith Johnston, an improv guru. He said that when you say yes, you're rewarded with adventures. Mm -hmm. When you say no, you're rewarded by safety. Either choice, you get a reward. But where you want to go is up to you. Yes. So profound. I'm, I'm just absorbing that right now because one of my learnings from doing this podcast and from my own story is like a lot of society or the values that our parents try to instill in us tells us what's right and wrong in life. When re in reality, I don't think there's any right or wrong. Like you said, you can be either rewarded by adventures or safety or something that's aligned with your values or not aligned with your values, but something's going to tell you, usually your, your body <laughs> in yes. a somatic way is going to tell you I'm on the wrong path. Like I, you know, I'm, why am I not choosing the path more aligned to who I am and what I stand for? So it's very profound. So I won't ask you what's next for you. I'll ask you, what story do you want to tell in the future that you aren't able to tell yet? Oh, oh, there's a lot. Uh, so this is why I'm in therapy. Uh, <laughs> I would say I want to be able, probably in the future, and I'm still working up the courage to do that, stories about to empower women to speak up more mm -hmm. about the things that we shy away because we say that 
it comes with the cost of being a woman in a man's world. Mm. And the thing is, like, telling these kind of stories, you also need to prepare yourself for the backlash. Mm -hmm. And preparing for the backlash is, uh, requires a lot of energy as well. Yeah. It's like breaking up with someone. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's like when you're finally being able to speak up as to what really happened. Yeah. So that's the story you want to tell in the future. So that's the story that I want to tell in the future. Um, I want to be able to empower people to share more of these stories mm -hmm. so that we don't normalize keeping quiet. Well, I know there is like the hashtag me too. It disappeared now mm -hmm. again. So I think we have to normalize being able to s clearly set our boundaries. Mm and not be shamed for setting boundaries. I think it's it's so interesting that we're talking about storytelling and vulnerability, but also boundaries. Yes, because I think it's vulnerable to say that you have boundaries, to admit that there are lines that nobody can cross or you're not ready for other people to cross. Yeah. And we often, for the sake of niceness, we don't tell people our boundaries, and that's when we, we start resenting people. Yes. And so... I want to be able to empower people that it's okay to state your boundaries. That's a real game changer. Yeah. Real game changer. And I, I hope you are. I mean, I'm so excited to see what you do next because Me too. it's evolving. <laughs> <laughs> I love to see the evolution. I love to see your stories. And I would encourage anyone who's based in Singapore or Manila, because you've taken What's Your Story Slam now to Manila as well to go out and see one of these shows because like I said and like Anna said there's an instant connection you feel with each other it's a very amazing environment to be in and I want to thank you so much for being here Anna well thank you for having me but can I just say something though what someone told me who watched What's Your Story Slam mm -hmm. she goes like you know What's Your Story Slam it's kind of like a podcast but live on stage and I thought, I did not think about it that way. That was like the first time someone gave me that perspective as to what's your source of is a podcast live. It's it's very similar. And I find that I find podcasting very a good platform for people who are introverted because you can have deep conversations just like with a story. You're sharing something that's maybe from deep inside you. But in the safety of an environment of just one other person, and it just happens to go out to the world, the world, <laughs> but you don't have to see them. You don't have to True. see their reactions. You're just having that conversation in the moment. Yeah. But then remember in the What's Your Story Slam, if you're up on stage, the spotlight, you don't see anybody either. You talk to the void. Correct. <laughs> you maybe see one or two faces in yeah. the front row. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But still connect. Yeah. Lovely. So thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I, lo I love having you and you're always welcome back. All right. Yay. <laughs> Thank you for listening today. I hope this has been a useful investment of your time. If you feel inspired by this episode, please rate it and consider subscribing. I'm keen to know how it's impacted you. <laughs>